I occasionally think how quickly our differences worldwide would vanish if we were facing an alien threat from outside this world. And yet I ask you, is not an alien force already among us? We've got an amazing show today, so fired up about UFOs and everything going on, and my guest today has spent over 35 years investigating UFOs and the paranormal. His hit TV show, Alien Highway, on the Travel Channel, and you can also check out his work on ufonut.com, and if you're in the Duluth, Minnesota area, you can hear his lecture at the Para-Unity Conference. Welcome, Chuck Zukowski. Chuck, how are you, buddy? Hi, Mike. Thank you uh, very much for having you on your podcast. I am honored that you agreed to do this. Honored, honored. After some of the guests that I've seen on your podcast in the, in the past, I'm honored to be on your podcast. <laughs> well, you're too kind. You are too kind. You're making me blush here. I can't tell you blushing because you got that stuff all over your cheeks. <laughs> That's why I have it. <laughs> That's why I don't shave. It hides it. Oh, man. We've got, we've got so much UFO news. Let's start with this. The UFO report that just came out last week, because I'm kind of going through phases with it. When I first read it, I was not happy. And then as it's gone on, I've kind of softened a little bit. And I think, well, they're kind of admitting it, right? What are you, what's your take on this UFO report? Um, I'm, I'm actually uh, really pleased with it. I'm, I'm happy about it. And the reason why, because I know as an investigator that um, they're not going to come out and say ET exists. Right. There's, there's no way they're going to do that. And my gosh, we just, you know, we're still dealing with COVID and people were buying toilet paper and, and paper towels. Well, what would happen if they found out that ET is flying over the U.S.? Right. What's what's next? Hot dogs? Oh my God! You know. <laughs> <laughs> so basically, we knew that. I say we. I mean, the experienced UFO investigators knew that they wouldn't say uh, it was ET. But I was really, really happy when they threw 143 of the 144 cases into the other category. Now, what they did was uh, um, uh, for people who, who haven't read the report. Basically, they came out and said, "Hey, look. Since I don't know, since probably it was 2007 or whatever, somewhere they, they've gathered these reports." from from our military and out of the 144 cases 143 are unknown but what they did was they said okay first we have to categorize what they are and this is exactly what ufology does this is why you have close encounters one close encounters of the second kind third kind fourth kind and even there's a fifth kind so they developed the airborne clutter meaning if there's a lot of balloons or something you know that'll fall in that and the other one natural atmospheric phenomenon you know uh, centricular clouds you ever look in the sky sometimes you see clouds that look like flying saucers Mm -hmm. That's a centricular cloud. Then you have industry development programs, USG, or basically black project programs. Uh, and that's either, you know, that's us basically here in the U.S. Because we don't know about, you know, China or Russia's black project programs. So those are the uh, secretive that, things that the military yes. is working on? Okay. The skunk works, more or less. The stuff that's that's still in development. And then you have, uh, you know, foreign ad adversary systems that would be China or Russia with new technology. And then, you you know, you fall into the other. And the other is, we don't know what it is. It's unexpected identified. And what's cool about that is the government admits that what's flying and has been flying over the United States for decades, they don't know what it is. Now, in the past, uh, you know, the government, you know, when you when you look to Project Blue Book, and actually before that, it was, I mean, this has been going on for a while now. Uh, real quick, Project Sign started off in 1948, just after Roswell, and just after, you know, the Mount Rainier 
nuclear incident in June uh, that actually coined the phrase flying saucer. Can you explain you project- that real quick? It happened within weeks or months of Roswell? No, uh, a week before. A week before. That's right. It was the week before. It was in Mount Rainier, was- Washington. Kenneth Arnold you know, saw these objects flying over Mount Rainier in Washington. And when he was describing it to, you know, uh, a, a journalist, the journalist, you know, he described it as like, you know, like, like little, you know, coffee saucers skipping. And so that coined, the journalist actually coined the phrase flying saucer, meaning it was a cup and saucer. And so that happened a week before. Matter of fact, I think that was, we have two World UFO Days and one we just had last week was the Kenneth Arnold sighting. And then one coming up on on the second would be the Roswell one. And then so Project Grudge, comes in between 1949 and 1950s. Interesting thing about 1947. We have the Roswell incident in July 1947. Later on that year, the Air Force is created, the NSA is created, and I believe the CIA was created. Yeah. So a lot of stuff happened the last quarter of 1947 after these massive sightings. And we'll go back and talk about that because this is exactly what's been happening in the last year and a half. Really interesting how this stuff is going on, mm-hmm. how history is reading itself. So Project Sign comes out just after Roswell 48. Project Sign goes into Project Grudge between 49 and 50. Project Blue Book comes in uh, from 52 to 69. And then somewhere in between there, you have Project Moondust. And you also have Project Blue Fly, which are, you know, early, early part of, of the 50s on that. But the bottom line is, is, is our government was trying to figure out what people were seeing. And once Project Blue Book was finalized, they were basically said, well, it's nothing. And J. Allen Hynek was a, you know, astronomer slash scientist that they had hired from way back from Project Grudge to try and figure out what this stuff was and basically to lie about. If you didn't understand what it was, he would have to explain it as either uh, Venus, uh, swamp gas, the famous swamp uh, gas. That was J. Allen Hynek. So after J. Allen Hynek, you know, was, was with Project Blue Book for that period of time, he, he actually got fired towards the end, uh, end of it because he couldn't lie anymore. He saw compelling evidence that he that it didn't make sense to say it was a natural phenomenon. And then later on in his life, he created the Center for UFO Studies, or KUFOS. So he went from a skeptic to a, a UFO investigator to a believer, uh, oh. be- only because he, re- he refused to lie. And so this is what we're seeing right now, what's going on is, and and we can thank podcasts like this one and, and so, you know, social media and everybody's got a camera on their phone and, you know, video camera. We're getting more pictures. More people are talking about it. It doesn't matter if Twitter or Facebook censors it, if they do or not. Does I, You know, it doesn't matter because there's other social media platforms out there that will pick it up. I think our federal government finally realized that there's no way to stop people from talking and at least talking about this. And then it turns out the military personnel themselves were the ones that started talking about it because they're going, hey, listen, what we're seeing is so far beyond our technology, it's scary. And we don't know what it is. So it's, it's really interesting. I'm really excited about the preliminary assessment, unidentified aerial phenomena. Oh, UAPs. Real quick, I did a little bit of research. UAP actually was coined by uh, J. Allen Hynek. Back in 1953, he wrote a report for the Journal of Optical Society of America, and he it was the report was unusual aerial phenomenon UAP. Oh wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, so uh it, it you know, UFO was coined in in 47 and UAP actually was coined in 53. Wow, I thought yeah, I thought that was recent because the stigma that they've created over the word UFO. Oh my gosh, that's interesting. Yeah, that is kind of interesting. I mean, they they changed, you know, unidentified from unusual to identified but still UAP. Yeah, same thing. So if you, if you look at the US history, we start off in space in 19 
1967, we had the Outer Space Treaty. In 1968, the Rescue Agreement Treaty. In case we get, you know, someone needs to get rescued, all the countries will band together and help out. The Liability Treaty, 72, registering satellites and stuff in 75, and the Moon Agreement in 1979. But in 1992, we, the U.S., outside of space, we did a Open Skies Treaty over our country. Now, the, the Treaty on Open Skies of 1992 means that there was, I, I forget if it was 34 to 36 other countries could fly over our country now and then on reconnaissance type mission, you know, to, to, to see if we we're violating, you know, the nuclear treaty or whatever. And in turn, we were allowed to fly over their countries, right? Mm -hmm. okay. So now basically federal law says no country is allowed to fly over the U.S. real estate without asking. But the treaty kind of bends with that a bit. All they got to say is, you know, we're going to be flying over sometime and because of the treaty and then they, they fly over. What's interesting, though, is in 2008 and 2011, right? It's where we actually found out that the Pentagon uh, was spending millions of dollars on research of UFOs. And actually, we can talk about it at another time, but one of the artifacts that I found at Roswell was actually, I later found out, was investigated by the Pentagon, and I didn't know it at the time. You found something out at Roswell, because you've investigated it several times, right? Yeah, it's a it's an interesting story. I'll, I'll cut it real short as much as I can, but we were doing a TV show for uh, the Sci-Fi Channel. My sister and I were just, uh, we were volunteer archaeologists. As it turned out, they just wanted us in the background. My sister, Debbie, is, uh, you know, she's on the board of directors of MUFON, and she's also the state director for Missouri for MUFON. So, you know, we're two seasoned investigators out there. And when they were done filming for the TV show, long story short, I was able to persuade the lead archaeologist, Dr. Bill Dolman, to let my sister and I come back to the debris site. Now, the debris site, you have a debris site, you have a crash site. Now, picture taking a Frisbee and skipping a Frisbee frisbee off the sidewalk. Okay. When you skip the frisbee off the sidewalk, when the actual skip point is the debris, or we call the skip. That's where the craft came down, skipped, and there was a lot of wreckage there. About three miles from that point, heading towards us, uh, El Capitan Mountains, the craft was damaged in a couple of figures. <laughs> yeah. People, a couple of ETs supposedly <laughs> fell out. Right. Fell out. How many? Three? Was it three? That two. Two fell out at that point. What we think? At least two, if not one. I mean, at the most two, at least one. And then from 17 miles miles from, from the skip site, there was a crash site uh, at the El Capitan Mountains. That's where they, they found supposedly EBE, extraterrestrial biological entity, the one that was alive, supposedly. So you have a skip site and you have, you have the debris site. So we went and we were doing an archaeology dig at the skip site. And I didn't like the way that Sci-Fi Channel and the two other investigators were conducting the places where to dig. It, it turned out they were just doing it for a TV show, but they weren't doing it properly. And I, I'm not really an archaeologist but I've done some archaeology work on ancient Native Americans here in, 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 in Anasazi sites. What I've learned, instead of digging holes, and we were digging one meter by one meter holes a good foot and a half. I mean, we're digging down to the, probably the Jurassic period, oh, wow. which is stupid. It is absolutely, you're wasting everybody's time and cranking our knuckles and stuff. We went back and we convinced the archaeologist to let us do strip digs. Now, a strip dig is a one meter by five meter strip dig, and you want to go down about maybe eight to nine centimeters at the most. Really, really small because you only want to go back so many years. You don't want to go back to, you know, Jurassic Park area. So I basically asked Dr. Doma, I said, okay, forget about all those other places that we had to dig for the past week. I said, look at your satellite data, your satellite images, and look at the maps. And they also had BLM photographs before we had satellite imagery, you know, from planes flying over. I said, pick me a place here where water would settle. 
where erosion would take place because the stuff's not going to be laying where it was. Weather's going to take it to where water settled. And I don't know why in the hell I didn't think of that. And so I had them the flag out an area. We were into the second strip dig and it was me digging. My sister Debbie was sifting the dirt and she goes, hey, Chuck, look. And, she, and it's this little triangular piece, probably as big as your, your thumbnail. When she held it, it was really light. Just a slight breeze would blow it out of her hands so she had to hold it. And when she held it up, all three corners, it was not perfect triangle, but it was triangular and all three corners kind of rolled up. We're looking at it. We put it inside a little manila envelope and we took it out a little bit later. It was flat again. But when it, when it got out to the sunlight, it curled up again. So it was either heat or solar radiation, maybe just light. I don't know, but it was causing it to curl. I don't mean to cut you no, off. No, go ahead. Do you no, think it, it was a piece of the infamous memory metal? I don't think it was part of the memory metal because later on we were able to cut it. But oh, okay. But it was interesting that when I was talking to Staten Freeman, he knew me, not like friends or nothing, but he knew me as an investigator. And so I used to chat with him when we go to conventions. But he had a theory at one point that... Some of the material on the craft, even some of the space suits or whatever suits they were wearing, were made up of little triangles. No but way. So I don't know if that has anything to do with it, but that's just one of the things I always thought of. So we told the Roswell International UFO Museum in Roswell and then also the Sci-Fi Channel to look at this further because it's an ar- it's an artifact. So we had to bag it and went, you know, uh, to the University of New Mexico, actually a Maxwell Museum. And they sat on it and then they, they decided, okay, well, for the TV show, all the artifacts that were found, we're going to pay a lab $20 five dollars per artifact to look at it just tell us and a matter of fact there's a book out called the roswell dig diaries and you'll see that in the roswell dig diaries so when they came to the artifact our artifact they basically said well it looks like the back side of duct tape not the front side the back side of duct tape right oh like the the smooth part yeah yeah right and i said well it wasn't duct tape but but because (laughs) duct tape doesn't curl up like that but that's all he did so a couple years later it got to the museum and i'm contracting what i do is i make my money by by uh, microchip design I'm an IC mass designer and I'm a contractor. I'm not salary because when I was salary, I couldn't take off and do investigations. So I had to go contract it. If I, if something happens like animal mutilation or something, I can just leave and say, I'll get that job done. I mean, I'm not, I'm not like a salary person, so I don't have to worry about that. Oh, that's that's nice. the reason why I did it. So I'm contracting at this microchip company here, Colorado, and they have an electron scanning microscope in the lab. And so I went over there to talk to the guy who runs it. It turns out the guy who runs it is a UFO enthusiast. Oh, nice. So basically, I contacted Bill Doman. We located the artifact and they sent me the artifact for a couple of weeks and we looked at it under an electron scanning microscope and it turned out to be aluminum silicon alloy. So what is that? Well, it's an alloy. It's aluminum and silicon and it had trace elements of titanium in it. Is there anything Um, like that here that we make? Well, yeah. I think Germany, I don't know, I think it was back in the 40s or even earlier might have played with aluminum silicon alloys. Okay. So we tested it one more time because we got some new software in the machine and it came out with the same results. Then I physically took it back to the museum. They sent it to me via mail. I actually drove to New Mexico and handed it off to the guy. Anyway, we had to do, we did a press release. So in 2009, my sister and I and Dr. Bill Doman did a press release at Roswell asking for help to try and figure out what this piece is. In November of 2010, Bigelow or Bass jumped up and said, hey, we'll look at it. Bigelow Um, Aerospace? Bigelow Aerospace, Bass, right. So I convinced the museum just to cut a piece off and give them a 
piece of it. Don't give them the whole artifact because we may never see it again. So that's what they did. They cut off a piece, sent it to Bigelow. And then within a week, I got this email back that says that they're not able to identify any mass-produced polymer that matches this sample. What? Now, it doesn't mean... Now, this is all this is all true stuff. Oh, I believe um, it. You can actually, if you go to my website and look up the Roswell artifact, you'll see pictures and you'll see the data. you actually see the email I got from Bass because I posted it on the website. Well, so Bass basically says, okay, first off, we're not saying that it's alien. It's not a common polymer. So you can throw away duct tape and anything common, toss that away. So I asked him, I said, what's the next thing in line? I was talking to the, the, the researcher that was involved in the project and he says, isotope analysis. We want to find out if it's from this planet. I'm going, you're going to jump right to isotope analysis? I'm thinking, that's a big damn leap. <laughs> you know, I, I was thinking other things, but you're going to jump right over to see if it's even from this planet. I'm going, wow. And that kind of raised the red flag uh, and it should have raised a bigger red flag to me. But at the time I was having some questionable theories about Robert Bigelow. And, and I'll tell you in a minute why, but that's the last I ever heard of him. So I really? contacted him a month later and, oh, we, we moved it to another department. Another guy's working on it. And then a month later, oh, we moved it to another department. And, and it was a runaround. And a year later, I got an email back. They said they sent the piece back to the museum. It was nothing. <sighs> Now, let's look at what happens here. Basically, when Bass got it was in 2010. But in 2017, I think it was, yeah, we found out that the Pentagon was funding a project to investigate UFOs, sightings, and you know, possible you know, debris. And the majority of that money went to Robert Bigelow. Oh, really? So when we gave Bigelow the piece, it was the Pentagon's money that was doing the research on it in the lab, not his. Um. So that was was kind of cool. I thought it was Robert Bigelow. Turned out it was the Pentagon. The reason why I had questionable theories about Robert Bigelow is because I, I was with MUFON, and I kind of still am with MUFON, but I was part of the STAR Team project. The STAR Team project is the best investigators that MUFON has, and Robert Bigelow popped up and says, I will fund the STAR Team project and give you the necessary materials you need, and blah, 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 to run these projects. That includes uh, airfare to any place in the U.S. to run your investigations, and blah, 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 and all this equipment, and yeah, yada, yada, you know, it didn't happen. But what happened was uh, the Mike Duran cattle mutilation over in, uh, in the Western Colorado. And, and that was supposed to be the very, very first star team project. And that was my, my investigation. So I brought a team, I bought equipment, we went there, knocked it out, came back. I didn't get refunded for anything because Bigel decided, well, because a UFO wasn't directly involved, like landed there, that can't be a star team project. Oh, I got hosed on that one. Kidding. Yeah, but it's okay because equipment I bought, I, I've used later on for animal mutilation. So that's okay. But the thing was, at that same time, we were learning that when MUFON gets a sighting, or, or actually assigns a star team sighting, what it, what it did was, if there was a craft that landed or something, and there where there might be some type of residual evidence, and that gets reported to MUFON, MUFON will send it to Bigelow at the time, not anymore. Bigelow would decide whether or not it's a star team project and if he wanted to fund it. And then if he agrees to fund it, he sends the information back to the head of MUFON saying, yes, I'll fund it, send your team. Okay, that worked on and off for a couple of times, but then the team started finding out that someone was jumping their investigations. Oh. So there was a lead time in between the time that, that MUFON sent them the information or his team, and they replied saying it's okay, you know, by a day, day and a half or two days. We were getting reports that our investigators would go talk to witness. They said, well, you are here yesterday. Well, no, we weren't. I'm here now. No, someone was here yesterday. So, oh my gosh. Which turns out now that it was the Pentagon's team. Uh, I had a feeling that's where it was going. Well, that's what that's what I'm assuming because of the fact that yeah. the Pentagon had paid for all this. Oh yeah, who else would it be? And, right. 
And that's pretty cool because, I mean, you know, now we're playing cat and mouse with teams funded by the Pentagon, which is like way beyond <laughs> my pay grade, right. you know? <laughs> the only problem with that is it's going to remain a secret. Right. Exactly right. Yeah. And until until recently, 2017, Louis Elizondo, of course, comes out saying, you know, he worked for a secret program in the Pentagon. And then he joins the uh, To the Stars Academy. December 17th, later on that year, the three videos, the famous videos of the FLIR one. Gimbal and Go Fast were published on the New York Times. September 18th, 2019, the U.S. Navy acknowledges that Tom DeLong's To the Stars Academy's released footage was authentic. Okay, now, now you see this ball rolling like it did back in the early 50s with, with Sign, Grudge, Blue Book, Moon Dust, all this other stuff going on. So what else happens? December 20th, 2019, U.S. Space Force is established. Well, why do we need a space force when we already have outer space treaties, right? Right. That I mentioned earlier? Yeah. Okay, so now we have space force. And then June 17th, 2020, the advanced aerial threats segment, part of the preliminary assessment, that was actually put into and, and agreed upon in, in June uh, to be put into the 21 budget. So that was agreed on back in June 17th, 2020. We later heard about it, obviously, towards the end of the year. August 4th, 2020, the Unidentified Aerial Phenomena Task Force was created. So now we have our own federal UFO investigators. Right. Before it was Bigelow. Well, it was channeled through Bigelow. Now we have our own. And um, I think it's the deputies of defense, David L. Norquist, uh, leads the UAPTF. So is this better that they're not going through Bigelow? Because I've, so I've heard in the past that they will use the private companies to get around the freedom of information stuff. Oh, because I've, so I've heard in the past that they will use the private companies to get around the freedom of information stuff. Them not going through Bigelow, theoretically, somebody could do a freedom of information request now, correct? Yeah, unless it's classified. This okay. whole report that just came out is unclassified, right? Okay. There's a classified edition that Congress got to see and, and, and President Biden got to see. Um, you know, I don't dislike Robert Bigelow because he had a sighting when he was younger that obsessed him. And when he, uh, you know, he got to the point where, you know, he was a millionaire and I would probably do the same thing, mm -hmm. you know, that I would use whatever resources I had to find out what's going on. And then in, in meanwhile, Bigelow wants to put a hotel in space. That was originally one of his things that he wanted. So uh, I think he was also looking for any type of advantage he could get with material that was maybe foreign to the planet that could help him achieve that. But right. I think the bottom line is, I think it is because he had a sighting that um, he uses money to get what information he could get. And then working for the Pentagon, I can't dislike him for jumping the investigations because it probably wasn't his doing. He was being funded, funded by the Pentagon. I'm sure that the, there was certain guidelines he had to follow and certain things. And they probably said, you know, you put a team together that we agree on or whatever, whatever. But, you know, you guys can run the initial analysis. And then uh, if it becomes a complete unknown, we'll take it from here. Right. Type of yeah. thing. So, um, at first, I didn't I didn't like him because what he was doing to us investigators and how he was manipulating us and jumping our, our investigations. But then the more I realized, especially now, since we found out it was the Pentagon, that he probably had his hands tied, too, of what he could, he couldn't do. Oh, right. And obviously, he was he's obsessed of, of finding UFO related material, just like me, except, you know, I'm a hundred air and he's a millionaire. Right. <laughs> Because right. I have hundreds of dollars. That's all, just hundreds of dollars. <laughs> right. So now what happens on November 22nd of 2020? And this is so cool that I want you guys to think about this. 
after all that happened with, you know, you know, Space Force and the Identified Aerial Phenomena Task Force and all that stuff, November 22nd, 2020, the U.S. backed out of the Open Skies Treaty. Remember I talked about the Open Skies Treaty? Yeah. Back in 1992? Right. So end of last year, we backed out of it. We said, we're not, we don't want to be part of that treaty anymore. Why would that So we be? got out of it. Well, my theory is, and I, I don't know because I, you know, I, I don't talk with the Pentagon, <laughs> although they've talked to me a couple of times, but that's another story. <laughs> At least I think it was those guys because it falls within the same time period. Anyway, I'll, I'll, I'll mention that in a minute. Okay. So um, if we eliminate all other opportunities from other countries to fly missions over the U.S., then the only thing that can fly over legally would be us. Right. By, mm -hmm. by backing out of the Open Skies Treaty, we're not allowing any more missions from any other country to fly reconnaissance missions over the U.S. Now, what does that tell you? It tells you now that if anything's flying over the U.S., that now we can go after it. Oh. Now, before with, with the treaty, we could only observe like Commander Fravor. You know, I'm going to go observe this Tic Tac looking thing. Uh, but but you but you really can't engage it in, in combat mode. Right. And none of these things have actually been a threat to us. The only threat that they've been in all is near misses but it's never been a near miss because if they wanted to hit any of our pilots they would have hit them their technology is so far advanced that we think it's a near miss and they think it's whoa man that's a mile away you know <laughs> right yeah. So by eliminating the Open Skies Treaty, we're basically saying, okay, now if we see something like this, we can go after it. And if we happen to shoot at it, we have no one to answer to. Uh -huh. We have no other country to worry about because uh -huh. you're not supposed to be in our space. Right. Right. It steps up the level for our for our Navy and our Air Force to actually, I don't want to say go in combat mode, but actually intercept mode instead of observing mode. Okay. I don't think any of our pilots will ever fire on any of these things. I really don't. But I think they want to go once they just want to go a little more extreme. So the beginning of June, Russia says we're out of the open skies treaty too. So they backed out at the beginning of June of this year. So it was really cool what happened last year, year and a half, how everything fell into place. And then the last thing we do is get out of the open skies treaty just because we don't know what the hell is flying over the United States. And now you have the preliminary assessment document that came out, you know, last week that basically says that's true. You know, 143 of the 144 cases fall into that other. Now, what's really cool about this, though, and I know some investigators think it's stupid and they don't like it because they wanted... The amateur investigators, the, the experienced ones like me know that that you can't say ET. We see what's written, you know, written in between the lines and we accept that. It's all baby steps, right? Mm -hmm. The baby step is, is first we got to release information that we don't know what this is. The document also says we need a budget to help us figure out what this is. We don't have the technology in our state-of-the-art fighter jets to determine what these objects are. So now we have to make new technology. We have to create technology. That's in this document. That's part of the budget they're asking for. And we need to create software algorithms and look at previous sightings that we haven't looked at for this document and compare it using these algorithms to what we're seeing now to see how long this has been going on. So it's really, really cool what the U.S. just did. Just jumped up and said, we're going to start looking at identified flying objects. And that's what they are. Now, I'm not saying they're ET until I actually see one last and walk, you know, an ET walks out and shakes my hand or gives me an anal probe. Either way, 
Hopefully the former. It's, yeah, hopefully the former. <laughs> but basically, they're saying it's unidentified. And that's what UAP stands for. That's what UFO stands for. It's identified. It doesn't say alien flying object. It says identified. So now we have to look at what do we need to do to up the game so we can figure out what these things are. Now, the other best part that I love is sticking it in the face of the debunkers and the, the scientist debunkers, because those yahoos have been riding my ass for the past 35 years. <laughs> yeah. That's why my website's called UFO Nut, because I started doing this and I was getting called, you're just a UFO nut. And instead of getting mad, I decided to roll with it. Okay, if I'm going to be a UFO nut, then I'm going to be a UFO nut. <laughs> sure. And UFO nut means unconventional flying objects, non-human, unrecognizable technology. So I made an acronym out of it. I just had to read it so I wouldn't forget it. <laughs> But now, like these guys on TV, it's a this and that is not our, you know, part of this planet is not ET because our science says this. I'm going, guess what? The same science that you are talking about is the same science that developed the technology in our fighter pilots that can't determine what the hell you're talking about. You see? Mm -hmm. So we're using the same science. We're using the same physics that you talk about. But yet those UAPs, UFOs, they are defying the laws of physics as we know it and are very, very high technology instruments and, you know, high tech instruments in our fighter jets can't determine what the hell it is. And, and, and they're using sound. They're using probably IR. They're probably using LIDAR systems and radar and all kinds of cool things. And they can't determine what it is. So if the best of the best technology instruments can't determine what it is based on our current science, then how can our current science say it's something? Right. It can't. So now the scientists have to say, okay, based on what just got released, we can't can't say we know it's not alien. All we can say is it's unidentified. And, and those scientists, and for your listeners out there, if you hear any in the future say, oh, it's, it's definitely not that, turn that sucker off. Because basically, they're just looking at everything black and white. They're not, they're not looking at the gray area. That's a joke, gray aliens. But anyway, <laughs> they're not looking at the gray area where there's, there's always a possibility that it's something else. Now, right now, it's a possibility that it's not anything that we know of. And that's where we're at at this point. Right. Now, and, and, and yes, in the past, I've got... Uh, uh, it's only happened twice. Once was the Roswell artifact that I talked about earlier. And the other one was animal mutilations. I would get a call on my cell phone, no ID number or anything. And it was a gentleman on the other side, very specific questions, very pleasant person, you know, not like he, you know, he was trying to intimidate me. Mm -hmm. And he says, Mr. Zukowski, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions about da, 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 da. And I said, okay, I'm not going to step over that line. You know, that happened to Max Spears. You remember Max Spears? Yes. Yeah. You Who don't want to step over that line. Can you explain Max Spears? Yeah, Max Spears was a, was a UFO investigator. I believe he was out of Poland, right? He texted his mom at one point saying, Mom, I stepped over the line. I got too far. I went too far. And then within a couple of days after that, him texting his mom, he was found, I think it was in a motel room, with black ooze coming out of his mouth. Okay. So you don't want to step over the line. And I'll be more than happy to share any information with anybody within our government. All they got to do is ask, and I will just open it up. Because I know that there's people within our government, especially now, because of this assessment, that want to know. Yeah. And, and if I can help, I'll be more than happy to help them. Hell, I'll go work for them, you know, if I if it'll help, you know, bring this information out. So I get these two phone calls years away from each other and they have very specific questions. I answered the questions and I said, if you have any other questions, feel free to call me, right? And very pleasant. We talked for probably 15, 20 minutes and that was it. That time frame falls within the Pentagon funding time frame. Oh, 
So was I being contacted by the group of individuals that, that were working with the Pentagon and, and were looking, you know, for outside sources uh, of what's going on? Did they not say who it was? They just were wanted oh, to no, ask no, no. questions. They, you know, when someone says, Mr. Zukowski, I'd like to ask you a couple of questions. You can look at it two different ways. And I've dealt with some of these people. We're like, well, who is this? I'm not going <laughs> to tell you anything. Blah, 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 blah. Dude, you are, you are putting yourself in hot water. You are making a mark on yourself and you don't need to do that. I've actually ran not physically ran, but I've left investigations that I was doing at the time for a couple of different reasons, basically because my life was at stake. Whoa. Because it's okay to not do an investigation because there's plenty of others that you can do. So it's okay. Right. So you don't need to be, you know, all Mr. Tough Guy and, and well, who is this? And who the hell are you, you know, calling me? No, you just be very pleasant and hopefully you don't wake up with a hole in the back of your head. Yeah. But, you know. <laughs> Golly. <laughs> And I'm very open. And when I do podcasts too, or lectures, I tell people, I go, I have no problem. You know, uh, you can ask me any question you want. There's some information that I won't release publicly. I know of a couple of places where there's skunk works facilities and only because there were sightings there. And I investigated the area where the sighting is. And I found out that it's it's us. Is that when you left those investigations? Was it because something to do with that? No, it was because I thought I was going to die. <laughs> really? Can you go into oh, that yeah. or no? Well, one of them people can read about, it's it's from the book, The 37th Parallel. I don't know if you're familiar with that. Yeah. Okay. So the book, The 37th Parallel was written by Ben Mesrick and it was written about me. The 37th Parallel came out in 2016. Actually, it was a New York Times bestseller for uh, for about two months, I think. I, was, I just had it over here the other day. Wow. Um, anyway, so it was written about me. It's, got, it's been optioned for a movie, but I think it's dead. So nobody's talking about it. But I do know there was a screenplay that was written and then it just kind of died after that. But then COVID hit and you know, everything else hit. Oh, but dang. if you go to Simon & Schuster, you look up Ben Miserick, 37th Parallel, I think you can still read the first chapter. And the first chapter was one of these cases where, now everything in the book, investigation-wise, is correct. Ben Mesrick added a little spice here and there, a little bit, you know, and, but the basics of the investigations were correct. And this particular one, it was actually, it wasn't a UFO investigation. It was a, a Bigfoot investigation that my buddy Joe Fex and I got of Denver as a Bigfoot investigator. And I, when I wanted to learn a little bit more about Bigfoot, because there were UFO sightings around Bigfoot sightings, I just can't teach myself. So I reached out and uh, to a Bigfoot investigator who's been doing it for years and I had him train me. You do the same thing with ghosts. You just can't one day pop up and say, I'm going to be a ghost investigator. I'm going to be a Bigfoot investigator. No, you got to hang with the people that do it. And you got to learn the rights. And then after that, you can take off on your own, right. you know, and your own path. You just need to know the fundamentals of math. And after that, you can figure out anything else you want to do. We went to, we were doing a Bigfoot investigation and it was a, uh, a psychic. I was on her radio show and I said that I'm a hundred percent believe in psychics, but uh, I do believe that people are intuitive and, and can sense things because it's, it's happened to me in the past as a kid. So we went to this particular area, 11,000 feet up, uh, just outside of Uray, Colorado, on top of a mesa. And we were in an open area and we were there to try and meet a Bigfoot family because a psychic said this is where the Bigfoots are. We're going to try and entice and bring them out. Had my camera set up the whole bit. And about 9.35 or so, uh, quarter to 10, I'm standing in the middle of this open area and Joe Fix is with our eyewitness just outside the open area by the woods. And, and he goes, Chuck, you see that? I go, what? He goes, look. I go, I don't see anything. He goes, there's some lights out there in the woods. We're above the Aspens. So we were where the, the pines were that were that high up. From my angle, I didn't I didn't see it. And then the psychic just started losing it. We're gonna die. We're all gonna die. We're gonna die. We're gonna die. We're, we're not we're not gonna see tomorrow. We're all gonna die. Oh my god. Oh my god. Oh my god. And she's losing it. And then I go, I don't see anything. And then I, but is it because because of my angle? 
what they were seeing, you know, think of the bottom of a triangle, right? I'm at one end of the, of the vertex and they're on the other side. And I couldn't see it. So I grabbed my night vision binoculars and I looked and all of a sudden I see these little flashes of light coming from the woods. I went, the hell is that? I had grabbed my night vision camera. I turned my night vision camera on, which was at the time was Sony Handicam. As soon as I turned it on and put on video mode, it just went out. I could, and I'm like, son of a darn it. My battery went out. Right. So I ran, my, I ran in my truck real quick and I had two extra batteries because I had three charged batteries. I put the second one on and I turned that on and the battery goes out again. Just just as soon as you turn on, it goes, boop, shit, shit, shit. You know, I, I see what's going on. There's a high EM field and it's draining the batteries. Meanwhile, literally, the psychic is foaming at the mouth as if as if she's being killed at that point really like she's epileptic fit stuff you know i mean it was it was scary shit oh so, my gosh that would be horrifying yeah it was so joe and i took her we put her in my truck and we started and i started truck up and it started up and we go good good that battery still works and we started up i had the keys in my hand because because uh you know it's keyless and so i'm sure it would beep 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 the whole time she was in there but i didn't care and she probably didn't hear anyway she was screaming oh. and i held on to the keys because i didn't want her to drive away yeah and at that moment joe standing with me Oh, wait, no, just after we took her into the vehicle and he, as he's coming back, I put the third battery in my camera and instead of using video, I did snapshot. So I turned it on, hit snapshot real quick and I got one picture and I can show you, I'll send you the picture if you okay. want to see. Yeah, it. I'd love to. Yeah. And you'll see a couple little lights and you'll see a beam of light coming straight down. That's the only picture I got. The only one I got. Because right after that snapshot, the battery went out on that. So people into the paranormal will understand that. But why do batteries always seem to go out when something paranormal happens? You know, um, and this happens to everybody. If you take a camera or a radio or something, it's extremely hot day. You're in a desert or at the beach or wherever. It seems like your battery drains more. You know, it's 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 a high EM field. In that case, it's solar radiation. But um, but when you have a high electromagnetic field, it absorbs any energy it can, it can absorb. And so it'll take your battery. It happens to us when we were at Roswell again at the debris site, the Dateline NBC film crew doing a, a, another TV show. And we spent the night out there by Heinz house, the famous Heinz house. We were camping out. We woke up the next morning and all of our vehicles, there was three vehicles, all three of our vehicles, the batteries were dead. Half our cell phones were dead. The other half had reset to factory settings. You're so kidding. something happened. So something flew over or something happened that night while we were sleeping that messed up all the electronics. So this case, I got one picture and then Joe had came back and standing beside me. We're looking, the lights had stopped and we're looking into the dead of the woods, just in the pines. And then we heard this horrific scream, just, it's just a, like it was a large animal. And I've, done, I've gone elk hunting. I've never shot an animal, just to let you know. But <laughs> I've seen them. I never shot them. <laughs> okay. But it sounded like a giant elk screaming for its life. And it was, the sound was getting louder and louder. And it was coming towards us, screaming like it was running from something. And it went, and that was it. Right in the middle of the scream, just like you're watching a Stephen King movie, it just cut it. Like, like you actually would just turn it off real quick. Oh my! God. And it was dead silence and nothing moved out there. Nothing. And at the time, um, I had a 40 caliber strapped to my to my side. And I looked over at Joe and I said, whatever took that big animal down, this gun isn't big enough. <laughs> I said, we, yeah. and I said, we need to get the hell out of here now, right now, or we may not be able to get out of here at all. Oh. And so I think what might have happened, if uh, there could have been a mutilation taking place. Oh. And, uh, and there have been cases of human mutilations, although a lot of people don't know it. So the, so the cattle mutilation and human mutilations, like the same yeah. thing happens where there's uh, no blood. Uh -huh. Really? Yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, actually, I think um, I can't remember if it's Peru or Brazil. I mean, you could probably look, probably look it up, and you can actually see uh, a human that was mutilated. I did find out there was a case in Tennessee, and I found out that there was a case in Canada. The problem with mutilation cases, it's a human. It's all hearsay, basically, because uh, it's it's a it's a homicide. So if an you know if a person gets gets murdered, uh, i.e., mutilation, the information isn't going to be public domain because the case is still open. It's not a closed case. You know, so it's really hard to verify human mutilation. It's all, you know, because I have a group of people that, you know, that I, I, I'm in contact with and, and uh, investigators and stuff. You know, you pick up this information, and you, you know, get other information about it. So we think that there was one based on the, the report in Tennessee and then one in Canada. So whatever happened there by Yuri on that Mesa was a clear indication that we need to get our behinds out of there and out of there now. Because there have been cases where, you know, I mean, and people that are listening to this, you can look it up um, on the Internet. And I'm sure you've heard about, too, where the state parks, you know, there's the people go missing all the time and never, ever get found. And I know there's a couple of books about it. I mean, a lot of people and I'm sure a lot of them get carried off by bears or, you know, mountain lions that died earlier or something. So they died early because they fell off. But there's a lot. And then um, there's a lot of unusual events that happen. Gosh, I talked to an investigator from a, a Native American in a reservation in New Mexico. And I was talking to the Native American investigator. And they had a Mothman sighting on their reservation. It was a humanoid with wings. So I'm not too sure if uh, the listeners out there <laughs> want to be really scared about what these Tic Tacs flying over. Because <laughs> because that's the least of our worries. No you know? kidding. I got into Mothman for a little bit, and it's uh, I. What What are your thoughts on Mothman? I know this is kind of going off of what we were talking about, but what are your thoughts on Mothman? Like, kind of a harbinger of something bad about to happen. You know, like a movie with yeah. with Richard Gere. Was it Richard Gere? Uh, Richard Gere, yeah, yeah. Uh, no, I don't think so. I think it's it's something else. Um, you know, uh, there's a lot of things we can't explain still. Uh, now it could be interdimensional. I hate to say that because that's always the go-to answer. Oh, it's interdimensional. No, it's stealth. Come on, it's just technology. Right. The, the thing is, is when I talked to that investigator from the reservation, they're very specific of, of what the person you know talked about. And then when we were shooting Alien Highway in Missouri, um, I, I talked to a witness that had a Batman sighting. Same thing. They just call it different things. Oh, okay. And I brought it to the attention of the producer and they said, no, we don't want to go there because it's taking us off track. And he said, well, could we address this if we get a second season? And he said, absolutely. So, you know, I know of the individuals. I know where it's at. But, uh, you know, they had a Mothman sighting, but it, Batman. I mean, Missouri's like that, okay? Instead of Bigfoot, they call it Momo. The Missouri monster. So oh. Missouri, for some whatever reason, they they make up their own names. It's the same thing. But that was 2019. And so that's fairly recent. Yeah. You know, uh, the type of sighting. So for your listeners out there, I would like to say that whatever I said, please don't be scared and don't be afraid to go outside, go into the woods and stuff, because uh, the chances that ever happening, uh, you'll probably get struck by lightning before something like that would ever happen to you. Out of all the investigations and research that I've read about, you know, it, this is very, very, very rare that that actually happens. As for the UAPs and UFOs flying over the U.S., at, at no time did they ever put anybody at harm. The close flybys, like I mentioned earlier, we consider it a close encounter, but to, to something that that technology was a mile away. And these things have been, been around for decades, if not centuries, because the Native Americans talk about it. Uh, if, you, if you want to research the Foo Fighters of 
World War II. It's really easy. Just type World War II Foo Fighters and you'll see pictures of our bombers and our fighter pilots that were taking pictures of these balls of light that were following them. Japanese had the same pictures. Japanese thought it was us. We thought it was the Japanese. It's, it's been going on for a long time. So if these things were harmful to us in any way, it would have already been. You know, it's nothing new. This is, we're just learning more about them. Matter of fact, unfortunately, we're more harmful to ourselves than these things will ever be. And you can thank COVID for that. Yeah, so, no uh, kidding. There's actually been proof that they've actually stopped some things, as in maybe nuclear weapons. Yes, yes. 